Well, it's a it's truly a pleasure to be with you. Um, greetings from Louisville and Third Avenue Church, where I, I'm a member and serve uh, at that church. Um, if you're ever in Louisville or you know anybody's going there and they need a place to stay or uh, you you want a connection, is it? Please come up a little. Oh, I gotta wear it. <laughs> yeah, you gotta wear it. <laughs> um, yeah, greet, greetings from Louisville. Um, and it is a pleasure to be with you. It's actually, it's interesting. I have, I have a connection both to pre, your, your previous pastor, Dave, and, and to your current pastor, Tim. Uh, you know, they're the two loudest guys, I think, in the, uh, at the seminary when I was there. So it's pretty hard to miss them. Um, also very interesting that they would both come here, both being Southeast guys moving to the Pacific Northwest and more, you know, inter, providentially, was, will be uh, frankier, uh, to Leavenworth. Uh, and this is a town that I spent a lot of time in my life in. Uh, my grandparents uh, have lived on East Leavenworth Road, and they spent uh, many summers uh, getting to spend a week or more up here uh, with, you know, in this town and in winters, Christmases. I can remember the snow very well. <laughs> this is all very familiar, and it is a joy to be up here um, with you all. If you would like to um, open your Bibles with me, uh, you can turn to Matthew uh, chapter or Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen, uh, or if you have the Pew Bible, use page seven hundred three. Although I'll be preaching out of uh, the ESV, uh, and I'll offer you guys a conversation starter over lunch uh, that you can ask uh, your family or or uh, friends, whoever may be with you. Uh, you know, what is a dream that you may have had in the past that's made a difference in your life? Maybe it, maybe it made a difference in your life, or maybe it's just something that's very memorable to you. you. I'm sure you can each consider or think of a time that there's something that's stuck out to you. And um, dreams have a powerful effect on us. Uh, one, they've also had a powerful effect on human history. And one very important dream that took place outside of Scripture that we know of in Scripture uh, that had a very interesting turn in terms of human history was Constantine, the Emperor Constantine. He was traveling, traveling with his legions to go and retake the, the city of Rome. He was the rightful emperor of the Roman Empire. And Rome had set up kind of another emperor at the time, and he was going to take his legions and kind of put an end to this usurper and take back the capital city. And then, of course, the rest of the empire would then recognize him as the king and, or the emperor. And as he's going down there, he reaches a, a bridge called the Milvian Bridge. And he's... I don't know if he's camped there or what, but he has his dream. And it's this dream that Jesus comes to him in the night and tells him, uh, kind of shows him a, uh, you know, a picture that, you know, he sees the sun and then he sees underneath the sun like this, this symbol. Uh, these are Greek letters there, Chi and Rho. And they, they're the first two letters in the name Christ. And Jesus is speaking to him and said, supposedly, says to him, by this sign you shall conquer. And so he has all of his soldiers put the Kai and the Row on their shields when they go into battle and they fight uh, off the the emperor of Rome, the current or the guy who's 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 hanging out in his in his house, and they fight him back and and maybe he becomes he you know the emperor and and truly everything kind of works out for him. But it had a hum, it had a, an uh, an impact on human history too for us um, because at the time Christians were greatly persecuted in the Roman Empire. But after this dream, very odd, and then. Him conquering, Constantine became a very positive movement for Christianity to, to have um, 
reception within the Roman Empire. He supposedly became a Christian himself, maybe because there were just enough Christians in the empire at the time, but it also may have been that he became genuinely a believer. And that catapulted us into a world where the Western, Western Christianity is, uh, has become accepted. So in many, in many ways, we, we can look to a, that dream uh, that he had, supposedly, and see some uh, you know, gratitude to, toward it. But I'm going to take you to another dream uh, it, that's in Scripture and we know came from, from God. Uh, we don't know about that one, but we do know about this one. And I'm going to read the passage, uh, and then I'm going to um, work through a few issues that come out of the, of the passage, and then we're going to zoom in on a couple of prophecies that take place right here at the end and look at that uh, and what it has to do with God making us a holy people. Uh, here we go. I'll read, the, I'll read it first, and then we'll work back the way through. Now, the birth of Christ, of Jesus Christ, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, very good Christmas passage uh, here. In, but I want to go through a little bit of each of it. And what we're going to see through this, Matthew's objective for us in this passage and in his entire book is to prove to us that Jesus is the rightful son of David and has the right over God. God's house, that is, the people that he's called to himself. Um, We'll start here. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He's recognizing Jesus as the Christ. Here, he's he's picking up on what he was just calling him the Christ, which has to do with with his kingship, his, his right to rule. And it took place this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. Big problem, right? <laughs> she's engaged to be married, but she's also got a baby, and it's not with him. So we got a problem. Joseph has a problem, and he has something he's got to work out. But to kind of go into what betrothal would mean for them at the time, uh, betrothal was a method that uh, the, the anybody people in that time, people that still today, will be betrothed from on occasion. Uh, in the East, it's more common, not very common here at all. We all know that. But uh, betrothal would work like this, uh, or one of two ways. One of them would be this one way where the, the woman, you'd be concerned about this woman and be concerned that if anything happened to her husband, he should die or should be divorced or something should happen along the way, she would be left destitute you know, as a widow and maybe have to move back in with her father or her father's house. 
and it's questionable whether or not she would ever get a chance to remarry after becoming a widow. So in a betrothal situation, one thing you would think about was how much money can the guy put up for the woman? And he would take this, he would take the sum of cash, which we might now you know <laughs> have to save up for a ring. They'd be saving up for the betrothal, and he would pay that amount to her father, and that money would be kept in escrow. So the money would be taken, would be it could be invested to earn interest for the father at the time, but he wasn't allowed to touch the money. So you take this money; it was an insurance policy essentially, so that if anything ever happened to her, um, he could draw off of that to support her once she moved back in with him. Or she, he might have to give the money to her at some point so that she could she could deal with it as she wanted. And that was probably the way that this betrothal would have taken place. Joseph was earning money, making money, trying to save enough to be able to take Mary, who he was betrothed to. He had agreed on a price. They had agreed on a, 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 you know, some, some, some sort of exchange. Um, not that she was sold to him, per se, but that he would be providing for her. But in all of his work, you could just imagine the anguish that would go into a man who was set to be married to this woman and had possibly been working for years to raise enough money to pay for her. He finds out she's got a, she's, she's pregnant. Oh man, we got a problem. And he's going back and forth trying to figure out what to do with this. Uh, we know that because he's, he goes here. And, and Joseph, her husband, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he could have made a big, he could have made a big to-do about this, um, you know, kind of casting her off, looking for someone else, but he decides he's going to do something for her quietly. She's got a pro- she has a problem too, doesn't she? You know, if you're supposedly betrothed to a man and now you're found to have a baby, you know, you, you would have a problem also. So her problem was, you know, the, that no one now would want her at all. And so you've got Joseph trying to think through, now what do I do in order to help her? I, I mean, I really think that's what we're seeing here in terms of the concern that he has. He has a concern for her. How is she going to be taken care of? She can't live with me because it's not my child, but I don't want to throw her and cast her out because then she's going to be destitute and so will her family. And so he, being a just man, is trying to figure out what to do, but he resolves to do it quietly. Maybe he decides that he's going to give the betrothal money to her father anyway. I don't know. In order to keep it quiet, to let things kind of pass away, he, he's got something in mind, and he's been questioning it and struggling with it. Um, and I think, I think we end up in places like that too. We have decisions, hard decisions that we have to make through our lifetimes. Um, decisions where we don't always know what's the best thing to do or what's the best way to do it, but we try and come up with the best decision that we can. And I think Joseph in this case is doing that. In many cases, you've probably been in a similar situation. You've had to think of, a, uh, uh, of some way to, to resolve a problem. Uh, now, Having resolved that problem or having come to that resolution, you're able to make the decision and move on in life <laughs> without God coming back and questioning you, <laughs> like he does in this case. So Joseph makes a great decision, I think. Doesn't that sound like a difficult decision to make? I mean, I'm going to give her some money. I mean, I'm just assuming this is the way it's going, but I'll give her some money. She'll be, she'll be taken care of, and now I'll move on in my life, and she'll be able to move on in her life. Very, very generous. And yet God says, no. And he says here, but as he considered these things, so he's kind of made his decision because it says he's resolved, but he, you know, this is still like in the process of him making the decision. He goes to sleep. Maybe he shouldn't have, but maybe he should have. 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Um, we don't often have angels appear to us in dreams, but this wouldn't be the first time in Scripture that an angel would come and appear in a dream. And, you know, some, to this day, some people still see angels, apparently, or Christ coming to them in a dream. It's very common in the Mideast, Middle East for Christians not to come to Christ until they've had a dream. Not that they have to have the dream to come to Christ, but it happens very frequently that someone will come to them in this dream and say, you need to meet so-and-so. You should go and meet my friend. I have a friend who's a missionary who would say that happened frequently. He would, he would meet, have this person come to him and say, I had a dream, and in that dream, I was told to come and talk to you about Jesus Christ. Will you tell me something about him? And having had that dream, it preps them to receive, and then the person gets a chance. My, you know, my friend, in this case, had a chance on many occasions to then share Christ with them and see them come to, come to God. Um, it's interesting that that would happen. Now, the angel never, or if an angel, if it's an angel or if it's Jesus, whatever the vision was that the person had, it's never that person who says, you should believe in Jesus and then leaves them alone. No, they always say, you should go and talk to someone. You should talk to this person about Jesus, which that person would then do, and then they would learn about him. But even in the dream, very rarely, if you've heard of these things, people don't get saved or start their new religion out of a dream. Instead, it's the dream that points the person back to Scripture, you know, points the person to someone who knows Scripture, who can tell them about Jesus. Because when we follow Jesus, we don't want to follow our dreams or visions. We're, we want to follow God the way he's revealed himself through Scripture. And he, he has revealed himself here, and we can learn, and we learn from each other. So be aware that God will use, God must use a person, and he must use his Bible he won't use a dream only. But in this case, he kind of redirects Joseph um, by telling him this. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Um. I don't know. Can anybody tell me how a virgin birth works? <laughs> I don't think, I don't know how that works. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I have no idea how that can happen. I think there must be an explanation for it. Uh, you know, that's through God, but it is mind blowing. And I don't have a, I don't have an answer for you on how that can occur, but I can promise you that that is exactly what's expected here. It, there's some question you might meet people from time to time. I used to work at a Starbucks and there was a lady who would come in and she would, have these different things she wanted to tell me. And one of them was that you need to understand that the virgin birth, you don't need to believe in a virgin birth. She truly, was, he true, she truly wasn't a virgin. And, and the way the words right here um, are actually something like this. It says, you know, she would be a young man, so it'd say, or a young woman. So behold, the young woman shall conceive and bear a son. Not virgin, that's just kind of like an archaic term that they would have used for an unmarried woman. But there is no question that this is a virgin birth and the re or that she was a virgin or that she, this, or the scripture is telling us that she's a virgin. And we know that uh, not only through this passage here in Matthew, but we also know in Luke. And I think it's worth just pointing it out because this is a very odd part of what it means to be a Christian, that we would believe in a virgin birth. But if, if an angel is coming to tell her him to take her as his wife and not be afraid, and that the 
child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, I mean, right there, we know that this isn't just a young woman, an unmarried woman who may still have had a baby by natural methods. <laughs> you know, this is a virgin. And again, in Luke, you'll see that she says to the, to the angel, when the angel comes to her, she'll say, how is this possible that I could be with child because I've never known a man? And when she says that, she means she, means she has never, you know, ha there's no way. It's impossible. Um, so we know that she truly is. Uh, and I think at times like this, I really don't know how it can happen. I think for some people it can be a stumbling block to, to, to think that we believe in this. But God can work in mysterious ways, ways that we don't understand, have not yet figured out, and will someday we might understand. <laughs> but these, these things, we, we, ha we have one hand can look at them and say, Lord, I don't know how that's true. And if this is a, tr a trouble for you, you can stop and say, Lord, I don't know how it's possible. But God, I trust you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you kind of speak to me. And, and we work our way through it. But it speaks to God's ability to transcend what, what is normal for us and natural for us to make possible the miraculous. And we often, in our lives, need miracles, and we need God. To, we need our God to be a miraculous God, someone who can change the normal, ordinary way of life and promise us hope and future. The fact that we believe that we can be raised from the dead, you know, is, is, a, is a factor in this whole equation. We have to have a belief in a miraculous God who can do miracles. Um, we'll go continue on here. She says, She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And now we're getting into prophecy. And I say we're getting into prophecy um, because he uses two names. Matthew uses two names. One is Jesus, and one is Emmanuel to describe the name that Jesus would have. But he says his name is going to be Jesus, which um, we're going to go into here in a second. Uh, I think it's very important for us to go through what it means for Jesus, for his name to be Jesus. Um, but he says, you call his name Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. This is a long-awaited person who can save the Israelites from their sins. <laughs> These guys have got a history, <laughs> like we have a history, right? They have a history, and they need someone to save them from their sins. And it took place to, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'm going to go. I'm going to come back to that one because uh, this is where we're going to we're going to really get into. I think for the next like maybe five ten minutes. Uh, so when Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Simple obedience. I think that's what you get in verses 24 and 25. Once we know what God's commanding us to do, you know, if we've laid out the fleece, if God has made it clear to us which direction we should go, let's not hesitate. Let's be people who, knowing what God wants us to do, let's do it <laughs> without wasting any more time. Because <laughs> we don't have to. We don't need to deliberate and roll it over and over and over and question whether or not it was right. Let's see what God's telling us to do and then do it. Um, 
I'm, I'm going to jump back to, to this passage, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. I think this is important. Um, this is a passage it's citing um, a prophecy, and it's the first prophetic fulfillment that Jesus makes in his lifetime uh, that's explicit in the New Testament. So if you were to go through, you'll see many of these cases in Jesus' life where they'll say, this is to fulfill something that God has, has said through the prophets. But if you want to go back with me, um, you can choose to if you'd like to. We're going to kind of fly through three passages in Isaiah. I just want to go boom, boom, boom to show you what God has said through Isaiah and how this fulfillment is taking place. It's taking place in a couple of ways here. Uh, go, so if you turn to Isaiah 7 and you go to verse, uh, verse 10, what, what happens is Ahaz, King Ahaz, one of these old kings, these, these bad kings, um, you'd read of in in uh, first chronicles is is confronted by god he says uh he says ask about ask god to give you a sign and god's going to give you a crazy sign for you to see that i'm telling you the truth and basically the truth is you're going to get overthrown you're you know the israel's going to get overthrown by the king of assyria and there's going to be these other, there's going to be all this stuff that happens. But you need a sign first that's going to prove to you that I'm I'm telling you this is going to happen before it happens. And he goes, no, no, I don't want a sign, <laughs> please, Lord, no, I don't need to know that. And he says, well, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And the sign is this. And he uses the term young woman here. I'm not going to lie, it does. He says the young woman will conceive, virgin. It says it may say in your in your in your text, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And he sh- and you shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Um, this passage here is then he's him saying you're gonna, there's going to be a child born, and that child is going to be your sign. All right, that sign is then fulfilled. If you want to go through it in two ways, one is you know if prophecy works like this. You've got like one mountain here, right, and then we might have another mountain in the valley beyond. You know that's higher. And we can't. We might see the tip of that further mountain, but we have to look at it, you know, over the top of some other mountains. So, like, as you're looking, you're kind of taking one line of sight. Well, that's sometimes what happens in pro- with prophecy in the Old Testament. There's one fulfillment that might come first, but then there's a higher fulfillment or a further fulfillment that comes later on. So, this is one of those passages. There's going to be a way that it gets fulfilled in the prophet's time, and then there's going to be a time that it gets fulfilled in a bigger way. And you'll see, you'll get left uh, if you read Isaiah unfulfilled, that this prophecy hasn't worked out. He says this, he says, the Lord came to me and said in, in uh, chapter eight, verse one, he says, take a large tablet and write about these characters, about this person named Maharshala Hashbaz. <laughs> There's a guy, he's going to be born, a child born, Maharshala Hashbaz. And this kid is the fulfillment of this. It says, he went to the prophet, prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. So he gave kind of similar um, language. And the Lord said to me, call his name, though, Mahershala Hashbaz. All right, so this is the, the prophetic fulfillment. We know that because when you read the first one, it says the virgin shall conceive, or the young woman, really, shall conceive and bear a son. Now, it's just as much crazy of a thing to say, that woman over there, she's going to have a baby, and her baby is going to be a son. He'll be a son. It's one thing to say she'll have a baby. Maybe she will, maybe she won't. It's another thing to say she'll have a son versus a daughter. Maybe she will, maybe she won't. But if she conceives, bears a son, then the prophecy is fulfilled. And in this case, that's the way this works, all right? So she has the son, 
And then further on, he says about this son, this is where it gets, it doesn't work. It says, for us, a child is born. This is chapter nine, verses six, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And this is something that Meher Shalal Hashbaz can't fulfill. Who can be wonderful counselor, mighty God? There's a bigger king coming. There's a Messiah coming. It's not, it's not this other guy. He pretty much disappears. And again, we see him, we see some comment about this son that, uh, that, will, that, that pops up in verse 11. It says, there shall come forth, or uh, chapter 11 of, of Isaiah, a, 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 a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch. Keep that word in your mind. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Some branch is coming. Someone from the line of David out of Jesse will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. His, and then further, his, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And this, this branch is left as being the one that we're looking forward to. Some fulfillment that, Jesus, that David will finally bear fruit with this, this coming son who will make everything right. Now we go back to Matthew. He says his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Um, but to stop for a second, there's another crazy thing Matthew's wanting us to, to see. He says his name is Jesus, and that's the name we know him by. Jesus is the name Joshua. In, in, Israel, in, in Hebrew, it would be Joshua, uh, Yeshua. And then if you change the letters and you make it Greek, it says Jesus, which we call Jesus. So Joshua is the way that these, the Hebrews would have conceived of his name. His name shall be called essentially Joshua. And if you were to read the Septuagint, Joshua's in the Old Testament would be Jesus, if you read it in Greek. So you know he's talking about, he's talking about pulling, right here he's pulling the name Joshua in a very interesting way. Um, there's two Joshua's that come to my, that, you know, kind of pop up that we need to be aware of. God does crazy things with the scripture and it's just worth kind of seeing what he's doing here. He, he wants us to look at two Joshua's. There's one Joshua in your mind, I think the conqueror. And then there's a second Joshua in the book of Zechariah that has to do with this whole mess. And that is in Zechariah three, there's this guy, he's the high priest and his name is Joshua. And he's standing in front of God in a dream that, that, that uh, Zachariah is having. And next to him is Satan. <laughs> and Satan is calling this guy out and saying, Joshua the high priest is dirty, he's filthy, he has no reason whatsoever to be uh, in your presence. And God responds to him and says, get, out of, get away, Satan, basically. Uh, this man, clothe him with Take off his filthy garments and give him white garments. Give him pure vestments. And he said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they clean this guy up, and he becomes the one who stands in front of God uh, on behalf of the people. And he goes further. He says here in verse 8. So if you're in Zechariah, if you decided to turn there and go along with me, I'll just read it. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, 
for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Remember we had that word before? The branch? The branch is that stump of Jesse? Behold on the stone that I have set before Joshua on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Where he promises to take, use this Joshua to remove the sins of Israel in a day. Not that Joshua, further Joshua, the son, Jesus. And that is the one who will save his people from their sins. One last crazy combo, and then I'm going to go into just talking about what this means for us, what we can do with this. But this is, this is a part of the way that Matthew wants us to conceive of Jesus. He uses another Joshua. He wants another Joshua to come to your mind. Do you remember Joshua gets commanded to take the whole army of Israel and go and, and essentially wipe out um, the inhabitants of Israel and make a way for, uh, for the, them to have, have a hope in the future? I mean, he... He has a big job, and it's a scary job, um, not a job I would want, to take a group of people and have to lead them, a bunch of complainers, to go and take apart this world, but, or take apart this area, uh, this land. But he says, be strong and courageous. Do you remember this? Be strong and courageous, for I will be with you, with you. He tells Joshua that God himself will be with you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua, with you. Emmanuel, God with us. You see? It's kind of like, why, Matthew, did you have to give us all that? You could, you know, you just said it. But he's showing you how the whole arc of Israel's history, the whole arc of human history in some ways, has come down to bear in this child who would be born from a virgin, Jesus, God with us. He was the one pro projected from the beginning of humanity or from the beginning of time to be the one who would bring back, turn back the tide of our sin. And our sins have one, one very important aspect to them. They always do. Sin always drives us away from relationship. Relationship with God relationship with others, our sins take root in our hearts, hurt, our, you know, with, and, and from those things, issue out these things that break relationships. And most importantly, they break the relationship with God, but they also break relationships with each other. When you, know, when you notice broken relationships between you and someone else, someone you love, there is something there, whether it's yours, theirs, a mixture of the two, there's sin involved in that brokenness, isn't there? And how in the world, how in the world are we to mend a broken relationship, a sinful, as a result of our sin? There has to be some way that we can be reconnected, we can be reunited with that person, and particularly with God. Well, this is our situation. It truly is. Every one of us has a broken relationship in this room, Every one of us has broken some way with God and has wandered away at one point in their life or maybe still are. And we need to be restored in our relationship. We need God's presence. And how, how is that going to work? We need someone to be with us, God with us, 
To be saved from our sins isn't enough. I'm not going to lie, guys. To just be saved from your sin, your sin only, just the fact that I've broken your commandments, isn't enough. Consider the man who went to Washington, D.C., uh, signed in on the piece of paper saying he wants to go tour the White House or whatever, walks into the White House, walks around, sees a, an arrow that points Oval Office that way, and he walks over to the Oval Office and knocks on the door. Who comes up to greet him? Is it the president? No, it's Secret Serviceman. And he says, what, what are you doing? You're, you are supposed to be over there. And, you, and this guy says, no, no, I have every right. I have every right to go and be here. And he goes, well, what right do you have? Well, I've never cheated on my taxes. And I always pay my registration fee for my car. And I would never drive without a headlight out. Right? You know, that doesn't work. Right? He's going to say, you know, very good. I'm glad. Go away. Right? And yet we sometimes think, we sometimes think, don't we? If you are holy... If you, in, in the sense that I have never sinned or I don't sin, then I have a right to go before God, or somebody would have a right to go before God. But that's bogus, isn't it? I mean, you're talking about the creator of the entire world. You've never screwed up once in your life. Doesn't matter. You don't have a right. If you think, if you are out of a relationship with God, just doing the right things doesn't earn you a chance to go and be before Him. It can't. We could never do enough. We can never be good enough to earn a place with God. We have to have a relationship with him. We have to know him, and he has to know us. So how in the world is that possible? Because it, we're, we're, honestly, we're screwed, guys. Like, we don't have a chance if God doesn't come to be with us. And that's what Jesus has come to do, to come and dwell among us, to be with us. And by doing that, he's taking the holy of holies that exists away from us that we never have a right to go to. We don't, we don't have any any chance to go there. And he brings it into our presence. He sends his Holy Spirit. He brings his Holy Spirit into your life, into your heart, to be present with you, to give you the access and the right to God. He sends his Holy Spirit then, but he also had to come as a man to live among us, to be present with us, to restore the relationship. We went to war with God, and God surrendered himself. That is... Jesus, come to live and be a flesh and live among us. And this holiness, I don't even know how much time I've got. I'm done, right? Just keep going, all right? Um, this holy God who's come to live among us has given us a chance to have life with him. And there are many things that we need to consider in terms of what does this, you know, what, how do we live now in light of the fact that we, we have this, this God? I think one that, jumps out to me. One thing that jumps out to me is that our futures are very uncertain. We, we, uh, we live, uh, and our loved ones' lives are very uncertain. We don't know what all is going to happen, happen, and we have right to be legitimately afraid of the future, of what can or would happen um, to us. And Joseph, in this past, you know, as we we're reading through here, should have been terrified about what could happen if he was to follow God. But if you look to his past and if you go to this genealogy that happens before him and all of these nutcases that are in his family tree, uh, you realize that God has a way of working out providentially the ins and outs of your life to do something more spectacular than you could ever imagine. Those of us who are willing to follow him and accept what he's doing will also find that he's providentially involved in every aspect of our lives. Not one thing 
is there a chance that occurs that could happen in your life, that could happen in my life? If God has worked all of human history out this way, he has at least done this. He's proven that through the most unlikely of circumstances, he can make something out of nothing, something beautiful out of, out of what we consider to be a mess. And I, I think that you all probably have um, certain things that you don't know how they're going to turn out. Your, your lives, you've, you've invested your lives into something. You've, you've spent time with people. You've built relationships. Those relationships are broken. You have other people who maybe you still have a relationship with, but they're gone off to something else. And you don't know what's going to happen with your legacy, with who you, what you've done with your life, or what you are going to do with your life. And I promise you, there is something God may be working out that you had no idea. Think about these, these people in, in, in Israel's past and in, in David's past. And, in, I mean, you've got, some, you've got some names here. You've got uh, Ruth, who we know is kind of came off as a, a somewhat of a, she wasn't a prostitute, but she kind of seemed like it to some people. Rahab, who was a prostitute. Um, and I could probably go through a few others, a few people whose names are pretty bad in this Old Testament. God worked something out through them. And he was present in their life. Is he present in your life? God will work out the circumstances, your legacy. He will make it abide. He will make it last. We work so hard to try and establish ourselves. But God will establish you. And he will establish your history. Um, you know, and what are some things, though, that you could be exerting yourself in prayer for? If you can't control all that, can you at least control your heart to, to, to go to God uh, in prayer? And ask him for help, ask him for direction, ask him for, to make your legacy stand, to make the, the conversations that you have last. Um, what is something you can, you can exert yourself in doing? Just one word of encouragement, one word that you might be able to put out there where God might come and use that word to speak to somebody's life. You, you go back to even this idea, this dreams, that God uses dreams in order to fully ha- come to bear in, you know, in sending someone to, to ask someone about Jesus, right? He sends an angel to, you know, through a dream, go in and meet this person. He'll tell you about Jesus. Well, there are ways, maybe not through a dream, but maybe through something you write down to someone, maybe a, a Christmas card that you write this Christmas season. Maybe it's a, a phone call you have or a conversation, just one short conversation or a long conversation that you need to have with someone that results in bearing fruit, down the, down the line. It could be years and years, 100 years before maybe God uses that in, to its fullest extent. But let's allow God to do that kind of thing. And then also to kind of speak to this is holiness doesn't come from inside yourself. And recognize that. Holiness doesn't come from what you do or how you choose to carry it out. God begins a work in you and he carries it to completion. But that isn't just in view of do you do what's right or do what's wrong. It's a question of where do you abide? And who do you spend your time with? Like, who are you with? Are you with God? Do you want to be with God? Do you, will you spend time with God? Do you want his presence in your life? Do you want him present in some way? Will you live before him and recognize that he has brought the Holy of Holies down so that you have access to him and you have access to his throne? Can you, uh, you know, if you're, if you're trying to achieve certain things in your life and you don't think that you're going to be a success unless you achieve them, know that that's baloney. It, it's God who will do a work in your life, and he'll be the one that carries it to completion. Um, so I would, I would invite you guys, even during this Christmas season, to think about what kind of traditions, symbols, whatever, that you have um, 
incorporated into your into your home? Can you speak to the holiness of God? Can you speak to his presence in your life and the fact that he has come to dwell among us? It's a great gift. Uh, and I hope that we all can do that. So let's, let's uh, pray, thank God, and show gratitude for who he is and what he's done for us through his son, Jesus. Lord God, we come to you to delight in you, to praise you, to worship you for being our Savior, to save us from our sins, to provide a path towards holiness. And that path comes through presence, being with you being, and having you with us. Please, Lord, be with us now during this season, but also in our conversations today, in our conversations um, as we make our way out of here, uh, honoring God and loving one another. In your name, amen.